Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have zero THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off. And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's sleepy gummy before bed and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my new bedtime besties. So our friends over at Soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U. T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hello, friends. I am back on the podcast with Yana Robinson, um, spelled J-A-N-N-E Robinson. And she is a very special woman, an incredible writer. I love reading everything she puts out on Instagram. She also wrote a book called This is for the Women Who Don't Give a Fuck. And we can only imagine that I'm loving to read that at any time. And um I see her as a writer, a poet, a feminist um, with such a unique voice, with such an inspirational voice, whether it's about sexual liberation, choice, um, championing women. And I thought it would just make sense to talk about belonging with her. What's going on right now post pandemic or whether we're still in the pandemic? I don't even know what your beliefs are there. Um And I would just love to kind of talk about how do you come home to yourself, which is what U-Turn is really all about. So, Anna, thank you for coming back on the show or being here with me. Mm, Thanks for having me, Ashley. I remember the first time I heard you're with Sam Skelly in your living room. And uh, that's how I met you was listening to you do a podcast with her. Oh my God, that's so funny. Hopefully I stood some good ground because Sam Skelly is like a gust of good wind. (laughs) <laughs> you did. Yeah. You did. And I loved hearing, I think you were at, she was actually interviewing you for her oh. podcast. Um, and it was really nice to hear your story as well. So, um, nice, nice full circle to be, to be back with you. And, um, yeah, really, really glad to be here. Yeah. You know, I read some of your work and I'm like, as a writer, I really admire you because I hear a really original voice when I read what you're saying. And I think we live in a world that's really busy and there's a lot of ideas being repeated. And in some ways, everything is repeated. And you seem to have a way with your words and your creativity that very much so is your own. And so 
I'm curious, like, how did you come to be so creative? And do you have a creative process that you can talk about for everybody who wants to be creative? Because I know a lot of belonging is finding your own kind of essence. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you do that for your own work? Yeah, I'd love to love to share. And there's a, a quote I love. I don't remember who it's by that says, when we create art, we create art we create a belonging for ourselves in that art because we're creating something outside of ourselves that we have resonance with and congruence. And so we're almost creating a home and a belonging in a published poem or a book or a painting, as well as we create belonging for this world in those walking by who can see themselves in that story or in that piece of art. So my why of everything that I do is belonging and part of how I do that is poetry. And it's been really fun to create a belonging for myself and also a resting space for other people who have similar stories or relatabilities in their life. So, uh, I wrote my first story in grade three. (laughs) It was published. I have been writing and creating art since I was very young. Um, I wrote poems when I was in grade three. They were very simple, like fat cat hat sat. I spent an entire day sitting in my grandmother's house, flowing out. I figured out poems could rhyme and it was just rhyming. Now nothing rhymes, but, um, and I played around with songs when I was in my emo phase, when I was about 14. And then I kind of came back to it in a more serious way when I was 19. and. I love to travel. I traveled all over the world from 18 to about 26. And when I was traveling, I was writing about the places I went to and my life. And somebody said to me, you know, you should become a travel writer. You're traveling, you're writing while you travel. And I thought that would be a great idea. And now knowing that I am a nonfiction writer, travel writing was a terrible idea. So I remember taking about hundred pieces that I had written on my travels in Australia and submitting them to dozens and dozens of travel magazines. And all of them rejected me. I think mm-hmm. there was one that wrote me back and said, we'd like to use this, but take all of the personal parts of this, of your story out and just write a piece around the devil's marbles. And that's a really important thing. If anyone is listening to this, who is a writer or who wants to write, there are many niches as a writer and, you know, you could get rejected by a travel magazine and it doesn't mean don't write. It just means not there. Mm. So, uh, I gave that up, not a travel writer. I thought I was going to write for up WestJet magazine at one point. I was like, yeah, this is great. I'll travel around the world. Uh, and now travel is for me and it helps feed my creativity, but definitely not there. And, and then remember when there was notes on Facebook? Way yeah. Back yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I used to write little notes on, on Facebook and, um, I actually, had a moment where somebody in my life said, those are too vulnerable and too much to share on Facebook. Yeah. I know we get that as creatives. How do you, how do you be with yourself with that? Because I know a lot of belonging is sometimes not sharing what's real because part of belonging is sometimes like that, at least the false sense of it is just kind of 
being in the wave of what is visible or what is trending or wearing what other people wear, like what gave you the courage to put yourself out there? Were you raised in a house where you were encouraged? Like for me, I, I wrote poetry when I was 11 myself. Um, I, I, I read a lot of Shel Silverstein, like where the sidewalk ends and falling up <laughs> and the missing piece and all that. And I remember poetry was a place that I would go because I didn't feel like I belonged and it was the only way that I could process my life. So how did you navigate that? Yeah. So this was the very first, this was the first time that I hit that. I mean, I have an answer now, but at this point when I was 19 or 20 in my journey, my impulse was to start a Tumblr blog and kind of take it off and to listen. And that didn't feel good. Uh, I ended up changing my mind and coming back and writing for Elephant Journal and Thought Catalog, which is where I built my audience um, primarily was just writing and expressing and obviously Elephant Journal, journal, nonfiction writer, basically most things were like writing a blog. So um, that kind of skyrocketed me off. But I, I think in the beginning... I didn't have a bold voice. And I'm sure you can identify with this. In the beginning, I, my voice was very soft and I wrote on an out-to-in basis with what the world wanted to hear rather than what was inside of me. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing that I wrote where I kind of drew that line in the sand of um, this deserves to be there because it is true and it belongs to me and I don't really care what happens on the other side is I, I wrote an article after I'd had an abortion and um, I wasn't planning to write an article. I was laying in bed after the procedure healing and this huge piece flowed out of me. Mm -hmm. It was so visceral and so descriptive of everything that I had experienced from people's neutrality and support to their non-neutrality to the doctor who said to me, don't get a, an abortion, you'll regret it. And how I'd looked at him and said, you're, I'm here for medical advice. And if I was a 14 year old who hadn't found my spine, that could have really affected me. Um, it followed the conversation I had with my belly. Cause I wasn't sure if there was a, you know, there's a lot of discrepancy of when the soul enters the body. Mm -hmm. And so the day before I had my procedure, uh, one of my coaches and mentors led me through this conversation where I said, Hey, little soul, I don't know if you're in there, but if you are, thanks for choosing me. And, um, it's not the time. So if you'd like to come back later, I would love to be your mother down the road. And if right now you want to be born and this is the moment, then, you know, I, I you want to go find a different mama. I support that. And it was so raw. I don't know if you've ever written anything that just scares you, but I, I sat on it for a month or two, which I think is an important part when there's pieces that raw to check in with the intention of why mm -hmm. we are sharing it. And when I shared it, um, at first I was going to just share it with the 17 million readers on elephant journal because mm -hmm. they were all strangers. And I was like, I'm not going to share it on my social media with people I went to high school with that's uncomfortable, but those 17 million anonymous people, sure. Mm -hmm. And I was living in this little cabin on the sunshine coast in Canada. And I remember the day that I had the email saying, congratulations, you've been published checking into my body and knowing that I was so at peace with my choice that absolutely nothing could alter the light within me. And yeah. so I decided to share it everywhere. And 
I was called everything from murderer from the first guy I slept with to woman of the year. I got the full spectrum. And I also had over 300 comments, messages, emails from women and sharing their own experiences. And one of them said, Hey, I was, I was 15 and my mom dropped me. My dad dropped me off at the clinic, told me not to tell anyone, not even my mother. And you're the first person that I'm telling. Mm. And I remember just feeling that of, I had written that for me and inevitably in writing it, it had helped and helped and supported so many different women and on such a topic that was bold and full of shame and duality in our culture and in our world. And I, I kind of went, okay, I'm going to write truth. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to create permission for other human beings in writing my truth for their humanness. And um, I think there's there's a great quote that summarizes by, by Gabor Mate, who says, he says, you know, as human beings, we have two needs, emotional needs. And the first one is belonging. And the second one is expression of our truth. And mm-hmm. one expression of our truth threatens belonging. Most of us override who we are to belong. Mm-hmm. And so my work largely as a, a coach and a facilitator and a writer is teaching people how to create belonging only through the truth of who they are. Okay. Yeah. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is brought to you in part by Glad Skin, the skincare products that restore natural balance to your skin. So be honest for a second with me. If I were to ask you how many skin products you have in your drawers at home, how many would you say? If you're like how I was, you probably have a ton of expensive, barely used products. It turns out we've been thinking about skin solutions the wrong way, and it's time to rethink your skin. And that's what I love about Glad Skin. It's a brand new category of skin blemish treatment that works differently than any plant-based or drug-based product you've ever tried before because Glad Skin is based on the nature of healthy skin. So inflammatory blemishes and acne-prone skin, they're caused by an imbalance in the skin microbiome. And healthy skin needs a healthy balance of bacteria, just like your gut health does. So when the bacteria get out of balance on your skin, inflammatory conditions flare up. So Glad Skin developed a revolutionary protein called MicroBalance to restore the natural balance of the good and the bad bacteria that live on your skin. So don't worry. Uh, Glad Skin's blemish gel works without any harsh ingredients. It's really gentle from day one. And right now it's offering our community. Glad Skin is so generous to give us 15% off our order with free shipping over at gladskin.com slash U-turn. That's G-L-A-D-S-K-I-N.com slash U-turn for 15% off plus free shipping. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, it's interesting. I went to the Hoffman process um, and didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just signed up to grow. And one quote that was shared, and I don't know the exact wording, but it was around shame. And it's only when you are able to share your shame with a benevolent witness that you are able to truly heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think about my best friend, Nick, who is like my spiritual witness, like the past 10 years, I've shared so much with her that would have shame based on how someone else might respond to it or validate it or negate it. And it's been so much more than a friendship that I have with her. And people hear me talk about her all the time. She's a psychologist. 
Um, and it's like being able to share that shame in front of a witness that is benevolent about it, that accepts it as it is. Um, and I know as a writer, it's, it's, it's choppier waters because you are sharing shame and processing life in front of the whole wide world. And for you to merge belonging and the truth, it sometimes can be so separate. Um, how do you work with a new writer or anyone right now who feels like they're kind of at that crossroads? Like they, if they're honest with themselves, as they're listening to this, they're like, yeah, I do a lot to belong. Like I have a shopping problem or I have a drinking problem or I have a whatever problem that I'm not proud of because I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses or I'm trying to belong an eating problem, whatever it is. Um, what would be, what would you say is the start for them starting to rework who they are into the truth of who they are? So good. Well, I have Two, I have a program that I'm launching in three months called Your Truth is Your Medicine, where I walk people through looking under every rock of their life from city to friendships, to family, to romantic, to career, to vices and numbing. So shopping is one of those, drinking is one of those, eating stuff is one of those. And to really get honest with ourselves. So I think the first key is always awareness. And uh, I love Louise Hay's work. And she says that when we're feeling trapped, um, it can manifest into depression. And so I think that my work has been largely helping people untrap themselves through truth and Mm -hmm. it's inside. So that's what I would say to people is if you're feeling sticky or trapped or stuck, you know, if you're going to emotional eat, I dated a guy who, when he was stressed, he would emotional eat and he would go, ah, I'm emotional eating. And he would just name it. So the first level and, and degree is it's like, it's not about beating yourself up in the ways that you're maybe avoiding truth. Because when I think about vices and numbing, you're numbing something because you're uncomfortable with something. Yeah. There's a truth there that will require you to potentially radically shift your life and your safety and your security. And that's scary. So we turn to vices and we don't always look at those parts of who we are. Um, and so when it comes to just having the courage to change our life, I think I'm all about titration. I think Mm -hmm. from a a spaces of also being trauma informed, it's really important to allow yourself to go slow and to titrate and to, um, move at a, there's a quote I love from radical Dharma, which is a book that says move at the speed of trust. Mm -hmm. And it can be very overwhelming to start to gain awareness on who you actually are. If you have spent your whole life, not being who you are. And, um, I'll be teaching probably in July. It's it's called meet yourself in truth. It's a free experience. And then I'll be launching my program. So we can always, I have a wait list and we can put that attached to this podcast if you want for anyone. Um, but it's, yeah, it's about meeting yourself in truth and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's a lifelong journey. I love the Gottman's work by the way. And I love, thank you for sharing that. I, I heard a similar thing from Peter Levine in Sedona. I was working with him um, a couple of weeks ago. And I asked a question about relationships and trauma bonding and, you know, people say, Oh, it's a trauma bond. And he said, it's inevitable that you'll be attracted to people who hold your wounds of attachment. All you need to actually heal is a person who is willing to be in it with you Mm. and somebody who's willing to be there and to do the work of the relationship and on themselves. So Mm. 
It's funny you say all you need. It's like, it feels kind of like we're in a world where even though there's a lot of people we know working on themselves, there's plenty of people who are not available to do that work because it's threatening to undo all of these ways of being that we've used as coping mechanisms to survive life. I, I left Hoffman Institute thinking to myself, like, wow, childhood is so fucked for so many of us. Like, our brains don't develop till we're 26. So in, in entirety. So it's like so many different events are happening and we're not able to actually process and take it in completely. And, um, it's, it's not until I did a ton of therapy and also even, you know, magic mushrooms that I was able to process and see memories that I didn't even know were there, or I couldn't even remember. Um, and so I know that for some people like doing the work into the truth of who they are, feels scary and threatening and painful. Um, what do you recommend as kind of like an opening? Like if we look at your program for people who want to join truth is your medicine down the line, what are some, um, keys that you help people do as exercises to start to get to the root of who they are and what's true for them? Um, so, uh, I'd love to actually offer anyone listening to this recording who wants it access to a recorded version of Meet Yourself in Truth. It's got six hours of content and 40 worksheets, and that's kind of the beginning process in um, as a gift. So I'm happy to just yeah, so we can we can hook that up. Um, And I I think the most important thing when we're stepping into awareness is to understand the need for titration. What titration means is to do a little bit and then to come out and process and to come in and do a little bit and to come out into process. And that's kind of abstract. So to get concrete, um, if you look at everywhere, you're maybe out of alignment in your life, it will feel pretty overwhelming and you may just want to shut down and do nothing. That's the payoff of overwhelm. So, um, looking at if you're feeling, let's just say you're feeling pretty lethargic and uninspired in your life, right? And looking, and that can be from, you know, there's a lot of reasons outside of the emotional body. There could be physical self-care needed, could be all kinds of things, but I do like to look at the emotional body as well. And with the emotional body, it, you know, if, if you simply were to just journal on this one question, so Louise Hay, she wrote an amazing book called You Can Heal Your Life. Mm-hmm. and depression, the probable cause is feeling trapped and like there's no choices in your life. So if you are feeling trapped or lethargic and super tired and uninspired, I would just check in around where do I feel trapped? Yeah. And I think career is a great place to look. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know that's really scary, but we give so much energy to our jobs. And, um, like I think, you know, 50, 60% sometimes there's so much of us that goes there and just starting to tune in. And the second piece of advice I would give people is do not feel a rush or an urge to do anything with what you find. And that's the titration part. If you need to integrate and be with the, the truth of um, that you uncover with that question, whether you're in a marriage that you want to leave, or for me, I'm, I'm feeling a call to move possibly into somewhere with more nature. Um, California is great, but I'm missing the trees. I'm from Canada. Um, I also have a belief that we're meant to live in smaller communities to have the capacity for more real connection. And I'm titrating in that truth right now. I'm not going to just move my whole life out of California. For instance, this is titration. I've been sitting with that 
probably for about three months. And my next step is going to be subletting my house out and going and trying living somewhere, subletting a place that's furnished and, you know, staying a month somewhere. And you don't have to do it the moment that you find it, that can actually be really destabilizing. And so I would say, have the courage to look, but make the promise to yourself that you don't need to do anything with what you find immediately. Do you want to get hired into a top tech company or are you looking for interview prep help? Chances are, if you're anything like I used to be, your interview skills might be what's holding you back. And when you realize that only one out of every five job seekers who interview for a job get the job, you want to make sure your resume and your interview really stands out. This is why I want to share that this week's episode of the U-Turn podcast is sponsored in part by our friends over at Karis.io. It's a coaching platform to help you ace your interview and get the job offer you've been looking for. And the team at Karis.io Karras.io, it's C-A-R-R-U-S.io, is full of interview coaches from Amazon, Facebook, Google, Tesla, Spotify, Apple, and more who have helped hundreds of people land jobs at top tech companies, whether you're interviewing for entry level, mid-level, or a senior role. Their process is incredibly effective. It takes only three to four hours of focused interview prep in order for you to see big results and double your chances of getting Hired. So head on over to caras.io and book your first session with a tech hiring manager for free. Again, that's C A R R U S dot I O, and your first call is free. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I love what you're sharing because what you're really saying is that you need to sit with impulses and kind of in, as they call it in dialectical behavioral therapy, urge surf, sit with urges for a while versus be impulsive and destabilize your life. In my case, I grew up in a very unstable home um, for a lot of reasons and instability is a comfort zone for me. And so growing up, one of the most common things I would do to keep that instability alive, to keep myself in my kind of fucked up comfort zone was be impulsive to create instability. And so what you're sharing is so powerful because I think another wound that a lot of people face and me being one of them, especially if you had enough as a kid is black and white thinking. It's either this or it's that you're either running away from something or going towards it. And um, I love the gray thinking that you have of, let me sit with this for a few months. Okay. Let me, let me see if how it feels to be in nature for a month. That gray thinking is so much closer, I think, to the world that we actually live in. And so how amazing that you can give yourself that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you like, I know as a writer, you not to completely pivot, but you have a process, like how would you describe your creative process, especially when you're working with a new writer to help people kind of uncover themselves and start to be more connected to themselves? I'm about to teach so many things on writing, which is really exciting. And I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think what's very important as a creative process is if I share what I do and you're listening to this, everybody's creative process is different. And, you know, Stephen King goes in a room from nine to five and puts on a suit and sits down and writes like it's a job. And like, that sounds fucking terrible for me. Um, And then I think about I work with Gay Hendricks. I've worked with him for two years and he gets up every day at 5.30 a.m. and writes every day of the week and doesn't take a weekend. And that's what he loves. But um, my creative process is like more more fluttery. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 
am a multi multi-dimensional woman. Um, Gay told he's like, you're a Renaissance woman. You don't just write poetry. So I think it's really important as a creative process to go out and live, to have anything to say. Mm. So living life is the very first thing that I do as a writer, um, going out and have experiences and first kisses and heartbreaks and adventures and conversations with strangers that give me the colors, the flavors and the taste to write anything worth reading and worth feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I think it's really important to, uh, I hate, like, it sounds to have new agey to talk about the channel, but I do believe there is, I think it's Mary Oliver, Elizabeth Gilbert quoted a really beautiful story that I believe was Mary Oliver in a Ted talk called your creative elusive genius. And Mm -hmm. in it, she was saying that, um, I think it was Mary Oliver, but, but she would be in a field. I think that TED talk was Liz Gilbert who quoted yes. her. Yeah. I think Liz Gilbert was talking about Mary Oliver's. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so Mary Oliver would say that she would be in a field and she would all of a sudden feel a poem come barreling over the ran- landscape towards her. And she would run like hell to try and get a pen. And sometimes it said that she would catch it by the tail and it would come out backwards and other times she would write it down and other, the other times it would just go barreling through her over the landscape, looking for the next poet. And that perfectly encapsulates my creative process, which is I, I write when I feel it. And some it's very often not a, at a convenient time. We'll have to pull over or I'll stop a conversation sometimes because there'll just be a line that will come forth. Um, I don't, you know, it's like, my other thought is I don't think we should force it. So it's like, I don't sit on the toilet and try and force a poo out. If there's no poo inside of me, that's yeah. not my creative process. I'm like, no, um, book deadlines are hard for me. Cause I have done that. I've done rigidity of writing for an hour a day of writing 250 words a day. And sometimes that's serving if you do have a book deadline, but for the most part, Um, I like to be in the conversation of fluidity with my creativity and also practices like breath work and meditation and Kundalini yoga and cold therapy and surfing, all of that get me in a conversation with myself and what feels like energy and spirit to be able to bring things down to write. So combinations of self-care practices and, um, breath work is so powerful. I think with opening up the portal Uh, getting us into our bodies. Um, That's another big piece. So I also think it's important that you will probably not feel creative if you are in survival or scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so I've had times in my life where I've been like, I'm writing my book. And I've been like, you know, you need to turn the money tap on. It's not time to write your book. And I was working with a creativity coach going, but I'm supposed to be writing the book. And she's like, you're not, you don't make good creativity out of scarcity because your, your mind is thinking about money and supporting yourself. So go make some money and come back to the book. Yeah. Uh, and that's another thing is that when we're in survival or we're in deep scarcity, I think it's good to take care of those basic needs to be able to have the spaciousness of the unconscious mind and the conscious mind to pull creativity forth. I love that. There's such a value to being honest with yourself about where you are so that you can create from that cleaner energy and channel. And, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting to realize how much of creativity is not just about grabbing that creative channel or that creative genius that's floating by the field, but also, um, looking at what's blocking you, you know, it's like, we live in a world where it's like, 
oh, we have a problem. So now we need to add something on it to fix it versus let me just remove this. And that's going to free me up. So anyone listening, I feel like asking yourself, like, what can I remove from my life to feel more free? It's like such a powerful question. Um, you talk, you also have a lot to say around defense mechanisms. Um, and I love that you shared about your creative process, by the way, for me, it's like wearing sweats in a dim lit room with candles and cold air conditioning. And I have the same mix playing on my Spotify. So it's like, we're all just a bunch of weirdos, but (laughs) talk to me about, I had a boyfriend once that I'm like, I don't have a creative process. He's like, you mean the air conditioning being at 61 and your sweatsuit and the candle and your noise earphones. I'm like, Oh, um, but yeah, tell me about defense mechanisms and what that, what that's about or, or what work you've done to kind of look into those. I love your creative process. <laughs> I try and put on like elegant silk robes and drink coffee with incense. So I'm like totally different vibe. I love it. <laughs> my my writing muse is very, she's very silky. Um, yeah, what a classy broad. It doesn't matter. I used to, when I first started to write, I lived in this cabin. I had a red silk kimono robe and I would put it on and write. And there was some, I don't know, that was a contrast of like wood and cabin and silk that I liked. Um, so I, the question was again, defense mechanism. Yes. So, um, and I love, I'm sure you know this, the more that we develop and do the work on our, our personal development work or our therapy, uh, we get to put that into our writing and teach that through writing and poetry, which has been the, um, kind of harmonious relationship in my life has been a combination of personal development and poetry and parts work, uh, from internal family systems. I initially learned about through EMDR, which is type of trauma informed therapy, and then through somatic experiencing, which is founded by Peter Levine, who I was just referencing that I was within, I was with him in Sedona. Um, but parts work, you can read a ton about online and, what has been so big for me has been naming my defense mechanisms and giving them names as a part. So for instance, I have a defense mechanism that I like to call the viper, uh, which is very much like a rattlesnake. So that's the part of me that will like come out and like strike. And then I have a, um, a defense mechanism inside of me, which I call the Italian um, gangster mob boss who is very connected with my Viper who sits in the back of the room, like chain smoking, who just like, you can't even tell that he's involved in what's going on. And he just looks at the Viper and he's like, fucking hit it. But yeah, go get, go get that guy. You go fucking get him. And the, the Viper will look back and be like, is it okay? And be like, yeah, keep hitting it. Um, so those are two of my defense mechanisms. I, uh, I've got some spice and some fire and those two, um, have played their role in protecting me. I also have a magician defense mechanism, which if I'm in a therapy session and I start to feel too much, sometimes the feelings will just go away. And that's kind of putting an invisible blanket over what's happening to protect me. Mm. Um, I have a defense mechanism that I call the retreater, which is sometimes I will feel like this, this part of me that will kind of pull into really deeply back and withdraw like a little cancerian crab almost inside of this like little tunnel. Um, and, and that part is reclusing to protect. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's important to name our parts because what I've learned about being a human being and being about through healing and is that 
we are whole, you know, we are born whole, we are born worthy, we are born finished. And we have survival mechanisms that we have learned from our development that are survival mechanisms. They're not who we are. Who we are is our whole self. And so many of us, when we get caught up in rage or one of these survival mechanisms, we think that's who we are and it feels like that's who we are and we can identify with that. But the reality is who we are is wholeness. And so I love naming my defense mechanism parts and would love to encourage anyone on this call to to look up parts work and spend some time in that is um, it helps to identify less and to remember our inherent wholeness. Mm, I love this so much and it is so powerful to kind of claim it, to heal it, claim it, to clear it. Um, And so anyone who's listening, I hope you take a moment to look at yourself and explore what aspects of you you're navigating the good, the bad, whatever you want to call it. You don't have to judge it. Um, Give them names so that you can start realizing they're not you. They're just ways that you be and patterns that you have. Um, Okay. So I know you have many different ways that you use your voice as a writer and a poet. Um, How do you help someone get in touch with their voice? Because I know we live in a world where there's a lot on social media and people almost feel like they don't even know what their voice is. Like it's hard to connect to that. So how do you help someone connect to their voice? Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that when you do more and more healing work or after maybe the working with the Gottmans that your voice actually drops and it sounds different? Yeah. You just get more calm. Mm -hmm. Mm, There could be like a dropping piece. Uh, I think that we find different cavities of our voice, the more that we know ourselves. And so whether it is our creative voice or whether it is the voice we are speaking with in the world, uh, I think the key there is to spend more time with who you actually are. And you can do that in many ways. I think, you know, you can do a journaling practice, you can go to therapy. um, You can, I think spending time in nature can be as equally as healing as personal development. Um, There's a a great attunement that happens in nature as a resource. But I, I feel that my voice becomes bolder and bolder the more that I know who I am. And I'm sure that you've experienced this where you get a jolt of clarity, that clarity is really empowering. And once I feel clear in my body, my voice has an easier time being clear. So if you're not feeling really clear in your voice or in your life about certain things, sometimes your voice can have that same piece there. So, I mean, yeah, I would, I would steer people towards personal development, honestly. Like, I think that that's a great way of uncovering. I think that you can take, um, you can, you can take time to do your, your creative voice is still who you are. And mm-hmm. so you, you can take a million creativity and writing workshops, but until you know who you are, your voice just isn't going to land in the way that I feel has the greatest capacity for impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I know we're in a time right now, especially post pandemic, where the suicide rate is really high. Mental health issues are beyond. And I've seen that across the board. Um, what would you say for anyone who feels like they're kind of out of their body or they're feeling really dysregulated? How do they get back into their body? Um, I know for me, most of my trauma growing up comes from being with a parent who was dysregulated, a really good parent who was doing their best. So um, what do you have to share with those who are listening, who just feel kind of out of sorts and dysregulated? Yeah. Uh, I would say that 
I think that we are living in a an absolutely dysregulated space and an overstimulated space. And I think that there's so much at play here. And I think part of it is consumerism and consumerism has always been here and it's been buy more, buy more, um, as an individualism, progress, 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 buy the house, buy all the things to be happy. And the reality is, is once you get the house, you're alone in the house and it's still not going to be the full resource that you need. So we are overstimulated. We are spending too much time with screens and um, our nervous systems, many people's nervous systems, both because of caffeine and stimulation and are in what is called stuck on on. So I'm not sure if you know, but the basics of nervous system is that we have a sympathetic, a ventral vagal and a dorsal vagal. And it's normal that we ride the wave of that. But what's happening, and I'm going to give you a small breakdown. Yeah, I would love a breakdown of each. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and there's an inherently healthy state for all of these. And then there can you can get stuck. And so sympathetic is where you go to call upon energy for your day. So if you think about a Himalayan salt lamp, kind of turning it on or turning it down, that's kind of what your nervous system does. And you can play around with that visual in your mind. So if I turn that on for this salt lamp, um, that's going to be in more of a sympathetic state. This could just be you like us having this podcast. We need to call upon some energy to show up, to have this conversation. Or if you get scared or frightened and go into a, like a fight or flight state, you can also go up there. Um, but it can have a positive as well. And then your ventral vagal is your kind of resting state in the middle, which is where you're able to move from openness and curiosity and to really connect. And is more of a resting state. Um, the dorsal vagal is where you go to sleep and also to digest food. So that's kind of the, and there's two different tones of dorsal vagal. There's an upper and a lower and I think I got that right. And uh, polyvagal theory is really beautiful for anyone who wants to go deeper on this. Um, and Deb Dana is a teacher I'd recommend. And so for the lower cavities of the dorsal vagal, sometimes you can get stuck here as well, which is when you feel really lethargic. You know, people's faces are kind of all droopy. Yeah. Sometimes they're stuck. Their bodies are stuck somewhere. So you can get stuck in dorsal vagal or you can get stuck on on. Um, and ways we keep ourselves stuck on on are caffeine, sugar. So then you're not, you're not doing this with your nervous system. You're just staying in that sympathetic state. And then you exhaust your adrenals and your nervous system. And then usually there's a big crash mm -hmm. um, and, you, and you go down, all the way down. And so I think um, social media and television and Stim where are you getting stimulated? Where are you getting stimulation in your life? And it's stimulating living in cities for your nervous system. Having, I was just in Atlanta, which I love, but there was constantly sirens and people and cars and music. Oh my That's God, yeah. stimulating, you know? And so how we can help regulate our nervous systems, the, the easiest way is being in nature. And nature is such a beautiful resource for regulation. Um, and the second thing I'd recommend is um, somatic experiencing is one of the most amazing. It's very nervous system based. It's a trauma informed Soma means body. So it's called body experiencing. And it's about bridging the gap and knowledge of the nervous system, the body, um, with the mind and they've done scans of the brain. And the only therapies that have actually helped shift unconscious patterns were somatic experiencing EMDR and hypnotherapy. So I think, um, what I would say is we are also not meant to live in cities as big as we live in. We, we used to live in tribes. If we had a hundred people, more than a hundred people, you break off into a new tribe. 
So you're living with too many people. You're living with so much stimulation of sound and noise in cities. You're stimulated by your phone and television and the food that you eat full of sugar and caffeine. Those five things are causing your nervous system to be jacked. Mm. As much as you can, go to decaf. You know, I'm on a decaf train. Spend time in nature. Um, I'm going to be moving somewhere more rural soon because I'm also like, Encinitas is cool, but I want it to be more rural. Um, And I think really limiting, I just spent a week, I turned my phone off when I was in Sedona, which I know we all don't have the privilege to do, but turning your phone off for a day, getting away from the stimulation um, and getting back into right relation with our nervous systems means nature, real connection with people. Like I mean, real people, physical people. And being with people in this one plane, we are living in too many dimensions and too many planes. And so, um, so that would be what I would say is nature and limiting those stimulating pieces to get your nervous system a bit more. The second you cut out caffeine, you're already going to feel a thousand times better and more in a resting state. So those would be my initial pieces. You know, I just think of me leaving my front door in New York with my dog. He's like a hundred pounds. I open the door of my building. There's a dog usually walking by. And then there's like an explosion between the two dogs as I, and then I just hear, honk, fuck you. Like that's New York. And so, you know, um, I've really made my space into a refuge. And I think there's such an opportunity there to like really pay attention to how you have your space, whether it's how it's decorated, how clean it is. It really has, there's so much research to support, you know, how that stimulates or debilitates you. So Mm. I love all that you're sharing. Um, where can everyone find you? And I'll be sure to include some links with your programs in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I, I write things on social media, my books, I have them both here. Great. I don't know if we're going to do video of this, but these are my two books um, webs on her vagina. And this is for the women who don't give a fuck. And I just released a, a writing masterclass It's recorded with like a 45 page workbook called how to write your story with sensitivity rather than censorship. So mm-hmm. if people are wanting to explore boldness with grace towards the characters in their life. Um, that's a great one. And people who want to learn communication from grace, I have another one called safe to say anything, which is just the art of nonviolent communication and how to use our, their voices in their personal relationships. Love it. Um, and then we'll give them access to the meet yourself in truth, which is usually going to be a paid product, but, uh, I'm going to do it as a, as a bonus. I know that you work with, um, you likely have writers and people in your audience and, um, and uh, I also, I, I loved, I have so much respect, Ashley, when I was hearing your story, although it was many years ago, um, also for your commitment to boldly living and committing to the truth of who you are and your evolutions. And um, yeah, so it's really nice to be here with you and your audience. Thank you so much for coming on. You have so much nuance and depth and richness, and it's really so nice to be around. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week.